Welcome to this episode of the award-winning Best of Left podcast. This is just a sample of one of our recent bonus episodes from a couple of weeks ago. Members obviously get it when they're published. Uh, Every couple of weeks, our crew, Amanda, myself, and our researchers, Dion and Aaron, we all get together for a little roundtable discussion, find really interesting things to talk about and sort of dive into a little bit deeper than uh, than I have time to on the regular show. So here's just 15 minutes for free so you can get a sense of what all the fuss is about, just to wet your whistle and let you know what you've been missing out on by not being a member. This is one of those things that started as a little tickle in my brain. I, I have these every once in a while. It's like when I figured out that the Scottish are related to the clan in the South because their flags are similar, the uh, Confederate flag and uh, Scottish flag. So I went down that rabbit hole a few years ago. So I had another tickle in my brain and I started thinking about how conservatives seem to have a bizarre and likely unhealthy fascination or possibly fetishization of native people. And so I I sort of pulled at that thread a little bit and got thinking about sort of this romanticized version, obviously, because it's not that they have great respect for modern native people. They're diametrically opposed on their politics for the most part. But in terms of sort of the fascination with the Old West or the romantic idea of the Indian Wars, which leads to the things that we actually talk about in modern times, uh, sports teams being named after tribes or various names related to Native people, our military equipment being named after Native tribes, the idea and not everyone necessarily knows this, but enemy territory, the military still refers to any enemy territory as Indian country. That is still just the term they use to talk about being in an area uh, where they are not in control and are expecting to face enemies. And then just sort of the weirdest little place, Amanda and I were watching, there's a little follow-up series from the recent Borat movie. Subsequent movie film. (laughs) Yeah. Borat goes and hangs out with some conspiracy theorists in their house in the woods for a week. And it's in the movie partly, but they released the special that sort of shows expanded footage from that experience. And in this footage in, in that little episode, they walk down a hallway and they have, you know, these, Trump supporting conspiracy theorist, MAGA, you know, woodsy kind of guys have this giant poster of a native tribe, very romantic imagery. And I thought, okay, I'm clearly onto something. So I went and did some research and started getting some answers. So I have some clips. These are, I I just pulled some clips from a couple of articles. Let's hear this. From 1838 to 1839, the Cherokee Trail of Tears facilitated the removal of thousands of Cherokee to present-day Oklahoma. Some 800 Cherokee managed to avoid removal. Their descendants constitute the Eastern Band of Cherokee, today headquartered in western North Carolina. In the years leading up to the Civil War, white Georgians in particular felt they were under siege by the North 
and began to romanticize the Cherokee's plight at the hands of the northern government. Historians believe this marked the beginning of Cherokee syndrome. By either appropriating a Cherokee identity or drawing parallels between Cherokee removal and their own struggle to preserve and extend the slave system, white Georgians constructed a false equivalence to justify their pro-slavery politics. Smithers said, adding that those who did fabricate Indian heritage chose a relative who was distant enough to ensure their white privilege wasn't tarnished. So th there was a lot there. Dion, when you and I were talking about this offline a few weeks ago, you speculated about the Indian Wars and sort of the parallel between the Indian Wars and the Civil War. Yeah, it was just like an automatic parallel between the evil northern government coming and, and taking away freedom. And it, it kind of made me think this is why they use native people as mascots, because they don't, you know, they don't really care about these people. They're just mascots for their cause. And this cause is we fight like these rebels. We fight like these chiefs. We fight like any negative stereotype about a native person they could possibly think of. But that's the connection. It, it makes a weird kind of sense, especially if your whole ideology is a made up mythology in the first place. Why not just turn in a whole group of people into a mascot for that myth mythology? Yeah, and they were getting further away from the whole like, British-Scottish wars, so they had to find a new one to latch mm. on to. <laughs> well, I, actually, I'll, I'll skip ahead then to this next clip, which addresses almost exactly that. Many assume that Cherokee wannabes are looking to cash in on government benefits. Casino earnings, educational scholarships, or added clout as academics. But Cornsilk believes the explanation isn't so simple. They feel lost. I think Gloria Steinem probably said it best when she described white Americans as a people without a tribe. They hunger for it. But rather than going back and finding their own tribe, Ireland, England, France, or Germany, they want a connection to this continent. And they choose Cherokee identity, he added, because the Cherokee are historically emblematic of the so-called civilized Indian. So the, the end of both of those clips tied together nicely. So Cherokee syndrome is something that I ran into when doing this research. And it tied in pretty strongly to the, the story of uh, Elizabeth Warren and her run in with native DNA and uh, all the controversy that stemmed from that. And it turns out that is not an individual story. That is a systemic story stemming back to the Civil War. And many white people being told these nearly mythological stories about having native ancestry somewhere far back in their family lines. Which legitimizes them, right, in their mind. It, right. And they specify in that article that no one ever has a native father. <laughs> you know, it, it's always a sort of distantly enough removed relative that they don't risk giving up their white privilege while giving them access to some sort of native legitimacy. And as was described there, without a tribe to call their own, without a strong connection to their European ancestry, they are attempting to legitimize their existence on this continent through a claim of native ancestry and I may have more that is going to touch on this, but I'll just say it now that it's sort of a way of 
assuaging the guilt that comes with being descendant from a settler colonialist. Whether you should feel guilty about it, or if it's just another of those instances of, well, the house you live in has a faulty foundation, and now you need to do something about it. It is your responsibility to do something about it. Having a claim to native ancestry helps soothe those negative feelings that I stem from actions that are reprehensible, even if I had nothing to do with them, but I am where I am because of injustices that were perpetrated on my behalf by my ancestors for themselves and their kin and their descendants. But it's so interesting that it comes right up to a line, comes right up to the line of, I have this distance, con- distant connection, I'm legitimizing my claim here, but I'm not willing to, I don't know, I'm, maybe there are some examples of this, but I would guess it's slim. I'm not willing to you know, work to fight against these long marches, the Trail of Tears, things like that. I'm not willing to fight against tribes having their land stripped away. There's a line. It's a convenient thing to reference. It's a convenient thing to call back to, but they have no real claim. And how you know is because they don't fight to defend (laughs) those people they claim to have a connection to. Yeah, so you're claiming the benefits of white privilege while distancing yourself from the harm that's been caused by that white privilege. Yeah. <laughs> you just get to exist. Continuing on, on on that thread, here's actually a personal story of someone having this experience. I grew up believing I was part Cherokee. I was persuaded by the family mythology that my grandfather's high cheekbones were sufficient evidence of our Indian ancestry. Then I read Vine Deloria Jr.'s book. Custer died for your sins, which punctured a hole in the genealogical fabric I'd inherited. In this classic book about the American-Indian movement, Deloria wrote about his time at the National Congress of American Indians, during which white people came through his office, almost every day claiming they had a Cherokee grandmother. I recognized that my fond belief in a Cherokee ancestor was, in fact, a cliché, and I mostly let go of this false narrative about my family's heritage. For many white Americans, there is something appealing about being a little bit Cherokee. Some observers call it the Cherokee Syndrome. In the 2010 census, more than 819,000 Americans self-identified as Cherokee. But the combined population of the three federally recognized Cherokee tribes amounts to fewer than 400,000. There are ephemeral appeals to claiming Cherokee identity. I believe that there is a retreat from white guilt that is happening here. Writes University of Texas anthropologist Circe Sturm in her book, Becoming Indian, The Struggle Over Cherokee Identity. Whiteness is responsible for indigenous dispossession and the lack of societal connection that characterizes modernity, she said in an interview. Sturm calls people who claim Cherokee identity, without prior tribal affiliation, race shifters, who are seeking connection to an identity outside whiteness, claiming an indigenous identity, however flimsy the evidence relieve some of the discomfort of being a white settler. That actually tied into uh, our original discussion about the lack of connectedness that is almost by definition (laughs) what modernity feels like. Uh, Just to compound the the guilt the settlers should feel about what they did to the natives. But then to tie it in with 
the original thread I started pulling about the connection to nativist, racist, extremely conservative people, uh, this next clip will do that. Race shifters are commonplace in American history. Perhaps the most infamous recent example is Rachel Dolezal, who claimed in a 2015 interview that she'd been born in a teepee and spent parts of her childhood hunting for food with a bow and arrow. These claims turned out to be false. Sturm argues that race shifters associate Indianess with a set of values and a feeling of community belonging that is the near opposite of the anomic individualism associated with the modern condition of whiteness. There is a lot of overlap between believing you're a little bit Cherokee and white supremacy. My grandfather with the high cheekbones was also in the Ku Klux Klan. Most people think of these two identities, Native American and KKK member, as on opposing ends of a racial spectrum. But in the American context, there is a lot of overlap between the two. White families tell their children about a connection to a mythic Native American past as a way to lay claim to territory and to a sense of belonging. It is a way of asserting, we are the true first peoples. Yeah, so it ties in in ways that are honestly a little hard to wrap one's mind around. I don't know how everyone else feels about that. But I think, Dion, you're sort of zeroing in on it. The strange bedfellows seeing parallel existences where it doesn't strike people like us as parallel at all between white Southerners and Native people being exterminated. But that is definitely the story they tell themselves. So for them to see that parallel actually makes a fair amount of sense. This is, and I'm going to make a connection maybe that isn't there or is this little story kind of is making me think about the conversation we just had about climate denial. And it's just easier to create a different narrative, Mm -hmm. a different reality than to deal with the, the way things are. Whether you actually had something to do with it or not, we're not all responsible for climate change individually, but we all do have a piece in it. We all do need to do something to acknowledge it. People who live here aren't responsible necessarily for the genocide of the native people, but it's easier to pretend that you were a part of those people than to acknowledge your ancestors' role and your benefits that you received from that. It's just easier to deny and and live in a false reality. I, th- I think that's the story of America, right? Like we've been talking about this on this show for a long time, just the mythology versus history. This is just another myth building. That's it for today's free sample. Of course, there's a lot more where that came from, not just the rest of this episode, but all of our bonus episodes that we've been putting out, uh, which have all been Look, I'll, I'll, I'll say it myself. They're excellent. They're really good and interesting conversations, and the reviews have been nothing but rave. So uh, to hear all of that, and in addition to all of the bonus content that goes in our regular episodes as well, every episode gets a bonus clip or two or three sometimes that definitely deserve your attention, but can only be heard by the members. So to sign up and hear all of that, simply go to bestoftheleft.com slash support. And now, honestly, it would be a very good time for you to do that. A little while ago, 
few months ago, I mentioned that we were having a slump in our ad sales, and I was told, uh, you know, it's it's the second quarter. Second quarter is always slow, and so just sort of expect that. But we are out of the second quarter now, and there have been no signs of ad sales picking up. So, you know, our, our belts are tightened. We are a little uncomfortable with the current uh, financial state of things. We hope one day ad sales will turn around. But in the meantime, we really depend on memberships. It is the incredibly vast majority of our budget and uh, and things are tight. So if you could help us out, that would be greatly appreciated. So again, to support us, go to bestofleft.com slash support to sign up. Or if you want to hear our bonus content, but simply cannot afford a membership, that is okay. You can send an email to j at bestofleft.com and request a financial hardship membership because although we need people's money to make this show, we don't want poverty to be a barrier to hearing more information, which is why every request is granted, no questions asked. As always, thanks for listening, and thanks for your support. 